Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. As we start out in chapter 3, one of the first things I think was so cool um, to point out, uh, well, let me me backtrack real quick. Referencing last week real quick, back up a little bit. Referencing last week, I asked Dad as we we wrap up chapter 2 and as we move into chapter 3, if you could could summarize um, that last portion last week into one sentence, how would you summarize that? And he said that if we could summarize all we talked about last week, for those of y'all that maybe weren't here or to... uh, to kind of recall some of that, he said that the wall of hostility has been broken through the shed blood of Jesus, and the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all people of all times, of all generations. He talked last week, the Jew and the Gentile, we are now one. There is no superiority, there is no one better than the other, there is no one who holds a higher power or position as far as equality goes. The ground at the, the foot of the cross is level. Every single one of us, race, gender, background, economic status, whatever that would be, we are all level at the foot of the cross, equal in the sight of God. And going from that now, in chapter 3, Paul starts out and he says that uh, in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And I thought it was cool uh, reading into that a little bit of even Paul saying, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And many of us know that in the teachings uh, and the writings of Paul, Paul was very much so literally a prisoner of Rome for most of his life. Uh, He was constantly locked up. He was constantly in jail. And in the culture of that time, uh, even being arrested, and Paul at this time, um, we believe he's in Rome under house arrest. Uh, writing this book to, to the Ephesians and the churches around that area. And, and house arrest in that area, he, he would have been able to kind of move around freely uh, in the home during the day, but at nighttime he would have been locked and chained to a Roman soldier uh, so that there was no possibility of escape or for him leaving uh, and, and trying to get away. And so uh, very literally, um, physically, he was very much so a prisoner of Rome. Uh, he was literally bound and shackled and locked to Rome in the evenings uh, as he would lay to sleep. And yet his perspective wasn't that he was a prisoner of Rome. Rather, his perspective was, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ for the advancement uh, of the gospel to whoever may be around me to hear. And so you think about even those Roman soldiers who were probably tasked with the um, with the job of being bound to Paul at night. And man, oh man, I bet they got an earful a lot of nights because uh, he did not see himself as bound to Rome, but he was bound and a prisoner of Jesus and for Jesus. And what a beautiful perspective that is uh, to even start out this chapter. The main, the, the main portion here uh, we'll touch on first is the mystery. Over and over, Paul throughout the chapter keeps referring to this mystery. And as I even got in and kind of studying through it, he kept talking about this mystery, this mystery. And I was like, what is this, this mystery, right? What is this, uh, what is this that he's trying to unpackage that's so mysterious that we, um, like a good mystery novel or, or a movie, that the excitement should arouse inside of us to understand what he's teaching about here. And so it'll take us to verse Verse 3, we're in Ephesians 3, verse 3, he says, The mystery is this. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now heirs, and we are able to experience the inheritance of our Father in heaven just as the Jews were. So referencing a lot back to last week, how the Jew and the Gentile, we are now on the same playing field. There's no superiority. Paul says that it is a mystery to us 
that God now sees Gentiles as the same as the Jews. And being able to back up a little bit before we go any further, we need to understand that the Gentiles, again, Dad touched on last week, was, was anybody who wasn't a Jew, born of Jewish dis, uh, descent. In the Old Testament, again, the people that Paul's writing to now, they don't really, they don't have the New Testament of Scripture, right? They just have all the Old Testaments of the prophets and stuff. And so in the Old Testament, the word Gentile was used uh, really to identify any non-Jew, uh, but they were considered pagans, uh, people People of Gentile uh, countries and areas in Old Testament were the pagan countries that really didn't, uh, they didn't recognize God as the one true God. So Paul says, it is a mystery to us that those of us who once, who didn't recognize God as the one true God, who lived in pagan lifestyles, who, who did things apart from the word of God, that we are now cut in on the deal and we are heirs with the Jews and we are heirs to the kingdom of God. And it refers us back to chapter 1, where in verses 3 and 4, Paul states that since the creation of the world, since the foundation of the earth was formed, God chose us. And he adopted us to be heirs to himself, to be sons and daughters of God, adopted into his sonship. At the end of that verse, he says that all this was done for his pleasure and will. It's a mystery to us. It's huge for us to understand we take advantage so often of the fact that we're cut in on the deal now. At one time, you and I, unless there's any full Jewish um, descent in the room, you and I, for the most part, uh, we weren't cut in on the deal. We were not uh, seen by God as his chosen people. And Paul says, this is a mystery. This is a mystery that you and I now get to experience the same level of inheritance, the same glory in eternity. We get to experience the Father the same way that the Israelites did. And he does this back again in chapter 1. And man, I sat on this for weeks in chapter 1 where he says, since the foundation of the world was created, God chose us to be adopted sons all for his pleasure. And I sat and tried to ponder through that, and it took me, uh, and I'm, quite frankly, I'm still trying to grasp that uh, in my mind and, and be able to experience that in my heart. I said, like, since the, f- uh, the foundation of the earth was created, like you walk out and all that we see in the last couple mornings, uh, getting up and just walking outside while it's still dark and, and, and the, the sky is crisp, uh, the stars are vibrant, the moon, if you guys haven't noticed the last few nights, is incredibly bright. And being able to walk out early in the morning before anyone else is up, before the world starts to wake up, and, and looking at, at just the quiet stillness, but the magnitude of the creation, and ever since before that was even formed, God chose us to be sons and daughters. And Paul says, this is, this is wild for us. I mean, this is so hard to grasp, like a good mystery, like somebody's always trying to figure out the different angles and figure out how can this be, and, and how could this happen, and how could this come about? Paul says, man, this is huge for us to understand. Since the foundation of the world, he chose us to be heirs with him for eternal salvation to live with him uh, forever. Matthew 6.20 says that um, this is an inheritance for us that cannot be destroyed, that moths, rust, and thieves, they cannot break in and steal it because we now, being Gentiles, uh, are able to experience this. And at one time, this wasn't accessible for us. Uh, so being able to understand, again, the impact of, of eternal uh, sonship with him is huge. And so now that we're cut into the deal, um, Paul continues in verses 7 and 8, and he states that, um, Paul says that, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. 
And as I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down for a little bit, but as I get into this, I'm, I meant to mention this earlier, but I need you guys to get out something to write with. Get out a piece of paper, get out a pen, get out your phone, or we're going to do a little uh, interactive uh, something here in a few minutes, and you guys need something to write with uh, so we're not scrambling at the last minute. But, but Paul, so he starts out, he's like, Paul says, I was given this opportunity to speak the boundless riches of Christ to you, not only the mystery so that you will understand uh, the implications of being able to be sons and daughters and for all of eternity uh, with God in heaven, but I was also taught to you or um, um, sent to you to teach you the boundless riches uh, that are in God. And I want to pause for a minute. I want these words to really settle in as we ponder through this of the boundless riches of Christ. What are these riches uh, in our lives? What are the boundless riches uh, that God has given us? Paul says, I don't want you to miss the mystery. I don't want you to miss the fact that, that we are, are spending eternity with him. And though now as Gentiles, we are cut in on the deal with the Jews. And, and the Jews were the ones who experienced the promised land. All of God's riches, all of God's favor. His hand was always on the Jews and the Israelites. And he says, you're now cut in on the deal. And I'm sent here to teach you and to preach to you the boundless riches. All God's hand is now on you as well. What are those things that he has just without measure blessed you with. Spurgeon says that I am bold to tell you that my master's riches of grace are so unsearchable that he delights to forgive and forget enormous sin. The bigger the sin, the more glory to his grace. If you are over head and ears in debt, he is rich enough to discharge your liabilities. You are at the very gates of hell. If you are at the very gates of hell, he is able to pluck you from the jaws of destruction, the boundless riches of Christ. There's nothing without his control, or there's nothing that is um, without reach um, uh, for his control. He says that, that if you are up to your ears in debt, if there is sin that you've been indulged in, uh, if you are at the gates of hell, God, he says that God's riches are so, so, so significant that he can pluck you right from the gates of hell, that he is sufficient enough to supply all of your needs, to fill everything that you ever needed. And this is what Paul says. I'm here to try to express this to you. I want to teach this to you. So now that we're able to experience the presence of God, that we are heirs to the boundless kingdom, he has blessed us with boundless riches. So what are those things in your life? We're going to take a couple minutes here. Uh, I want to pause for a minute, and I want each of us to sit and kind of think through, what are, the, what are the one or two or three things that you could sit and begin to write down that God has just, just incredibly lavished over your life? We're going to take three minutes. This is where you need your pen, you need your paper, you need something to write with, something that where uh, you can make note of this stuff. But in the next three minutes, I want us to think about what are the things, God, that you have just lavished over us in our life. If an NFL team can run down the field and score a touchdown in two minutes, we should be able to think of three things that God has blessed us with in three minutes. Right? So I want us to sit. We're going to pause for three minutes. We'll, uh, we'll put it on the clock. Um, and I want you guys to just pause and reflect for a few minutes before we move forward about what is it that God has just lavished over us. about the things he's done in your family, 
uh, the way that he's provided for you. Uh, think about even the life that we now get to experience because we're sons and daughters. Maybe there was a time in your life beforehand where uh, you weren't walking with him and now through the new life, what does that look like? What has he done in your family? What has he done through your job? What has he, what has he provided for you guys over the last years? As you write these things down, just begin to pray and just to thank the Lord for these things, things that ultimately we don't deserve. There's nothing we did to, to earn these things. There's nothing we could have ever done to work hard enough for, um, for somehow for us to deserve God's hand of favor or blessing. So just begin to ponder on these things, let these things settle in, uh, and just begin to pray quietly and thank Him. What has He done? Take just a couple more seconds. For me, a couple of the things that I uh, I, I began thinking about is is writing writing down just the boundless riches. I thought about uh, in my early college years, of fully fully just walking away from the Lord altogether. And allowing poor influences and allowing um, going off and playing baseball at a big college and allowing um, really just the, really like in Ecclesiastes of Solomon is like, man, I just wanted to experience, I feel like I was getting cheated something. I just wanted to experience everything under the sun, all right? I just wanted to see if there was something out there that I was missing. And so really indulging into a lot of just fleshly desires and, and walking away from the Lord altogether, not involved in in church, uh, not praying. I wasn't reading any, spending any time in, in scripture and, and building a relationship with him. And just the, the calloused heart that grew over that, uh, that couple year period of time was, um, I remember laying in bed and just thinking, God, there's no way I could even begin to pray to you because you wouldn't want to hear anything I have to say. Right? Like I've done so many things in my life that you just wouldn't care to hear from me at all. And so I'll just keep to myself. And allowing those lies from Satan of just continuing to pull me farther and farther away and getting uh, more consumed in, in selfish desires and fleshly desires and things that um, God painfully later on had, had to weed out within me and, and had to pluck so that that um, taught, a, taught at FCA Friday morning talking about bad fruit. Right? The fruit of the spirit and the trees and, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit and and, and having to see how God had to pluck so much bad fruit from my life to allow uh, healthy, clean fruit to begin to grow. And so I think about those times of how uh, when I wanted nothing to do with him, when I really wanted to satisfy my flesh, he kept pursuing me. And he kept chasing after me. And he kept uh, wanting uh, just deep, intimate relationship with me. And so one of the riches I think about is how God is um, so graciously 
renewed my mind, renewed my heart. He's plucked a lot of those desires from me. And again, there was some painful plucking that took place. Uh, that God had to weed some stuff out. But uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, um, you know, he says that. Let me read it so I don't butcher it. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I've thought through that about, man, there's nothing I could have done. I can't boast about the renewed life that Christ has given me. I can't boast about the favor that he's given me. I can't boast about the way he's provided for me or the things that he's uh, led my family to be able to do over the last years and the impact I have. I can't boast about any of that because it is by grace, uh, an abundance of grace. Nick's saying grace on top of grace on top of grace, an abundance that these things have been given to us. And I can't take credit for that. I think about uh, my beautiful wife and son, how the Lord has graciously given me such an incredible woman, uh, a woman that loves me, a woman that uh, as we stepped into the unknown of ministry a little over a year and a half ago, that um, no matter where I felt like the Lord's been leading us, she has stayed right there with me, and she has supported me, and she has encouraged me, uh, and she loves deeply, she's passionate um, and I'm just so blessed uh, and thankful for such an incredible woman in, uh, in my life and that the mother she is over my little man. Um, and the, the days and, the, and the, the times that he and I just get together, um, one of my favorite things I mean to do is even to take him up to the, to the high school and Thursday go into uh, the JV football game with him and uh, see him in his little tennis shoes and a football that's the size of him, but running around on the sidelines and playing with the football and, and, and even seeing the way that uh, the boys over there love on him uh, and that they have just, I mean, some of them, Garrett and Grant, have known him since he was literally born. And so seeing uh, him interact with these boys and, and just watching what a tender spirit that he has uh, and just so thankful for that again. Nothing that I've done to deserve that. Um, and, and, and I think about the favor that he's given me with so many people. Uh, there's some of you guys, again, that are in here. Um, people that really have no clue, you know, again, what did I do to deserve such, such favor? And, and for the Lord to give me a good name amongst man and, and, and people that, um, man, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. And again, nothing to deserve that. This is a boundless riches that God has lavished over us. And so it's important for us to ponder through these things, to think on these things. Um, because as we are now heirs and we're cut in on the deal, again, being cut in on the deal with the Jews now opens us up to these boundless riches that we should be so thankful for. And being able to experience all that God has done in our life and being able to recognize that. Um, and, and in Ephesians 1 he starts out and says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word praise means to praise with a worshiping love. We are to praise God with a worshiping, thankful love for all that he's done for us. And so since we are cut in on the deal, since now that we have boundless riches lavished on us, it should lead us into the presence of God. And so here's where we're going to kind of sit for the rest of our time is experiencing the presence of God. When the phrase the presence of God is said, what, is that, what does that stir up inside of you? The presence of God. What kind of emotion does that stir up? What does that make you think about uh, when you hear the presence of God? Chapter 3, verse 12 says that in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Other translations say that we can approach the presence of God with boldness. Why is it so important 
for us to understand this verse. Why is it such a big deal to understand that we are able to approach the presence of God with confidence, with freedom, and with boldness? To understand uh, why this is such a big deal, we need to reference back to the Old Testament. We need to understand that uh, culturally, why do we sometimes take this for granted? The fact that, that we are able to walk within the presence of God. We need to revert back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament, before Jesus, um, the, in our culture, we call it the legalistic context in which so much, um, uh, so much religion was handled and why that was such a big deal for the freedom that we now have in Christ. We need to look back a little bit into the Old Testament and see why is it such a big deal for us to understand the fact that, that we're allowed into the presence of God, that we can, walk boldly, uh, we can walk boldly and freely into that presence. Uh, and so it, it's been pointed out in the Bible that there's only two chapters in the whole Bible that point, uh, point towards the creation of the world. So the fact that we're alive, the fact that we're all here today, the fact that the sun comes up and then it goes down and that there's day and there's night, like the, the, the implications that we're even alive. There's only two books of the Bible and the entire Bible that reference the creation of the world. And yet there's 50 chapters in the Bible that reference the tabernacle. There's 50 chapters in the Bible that reference the tabernacle where the presence of God were to rest. And yet when we read through the Old Testament so often we get to these uh, chapters that go in depth to the tabernacle and the presence of God and the things that were required of the people to even be in the presence of God. And when we get there, we a lot of times just kind of skim through it and we just want to get on to the next cool story of David killing a Goliath or uh, of maybe seeing the power of God split the, uh, you know, the, red, or the, the, the sea open for Moses. And we'll skip through all that stuff, but yet there's 50 chapters in the Bible. It is the single-handedly most written about topic in all of Scripture. And we skip it. Or we read through it quickly. Or, or we don't take the time to, to, to so often sit and understand uh, what a big deal uh, it was to understand the presence of God. And so, however, this being the most written about topic... Um, we want to slow down, and again, we want to understand why was it so important then, and how, through the freedom of Jesus Christ, now how is that different for us? In Numbers 5, uh, one, through, uh, 1 through 4, Numbers 5, 1 through 4, Yahweh tells the Israelites that filth and defileness, uh, they weren't allowed in the camp of God. So anybody who had been around death, anybody who was physically contaminated or defiled was told to leave the camp, not even the tabernacle. So Back up a little bit more. The tabernacle was what, what God told Moses to, to build and construct to where the presence of God would rest. Right? A lot through the Old Testament as the Israelites were kind of moving about in the wilderness, uh, the presence of God followed in a cloud uh, by day, by fire at night. Uh, he was seen in, um, last year when I spoke, we talked about uh, the presence of God coming to Mount Sinai where Moses was. And, and so that there, it followed them, but then uh, God told Moses, I want you to create a tabernacle, and that's where my presence is going to rest. In the camp of the people, in the holy of holies, is where my presence will rest with you guys. And so Numbers 5, 1 through 4 says that, um, that not even inside the tabernacle, but the camp itself, if there's any defilement, if there was anything um, of unholy stature before God, that they had to leave the entire camp because the presence was so heavy in the tabernacle that it even, you know, the, the, the God wouldn't even tolerate defileness and impurity within inside the camp. And so today, um, again, being, being in the new covenant with, with Jesus, we are not contaminated by physical 
uh, contamination. But in Matthew 15, uh, Jesus says that, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and goes into the stomach then comes out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth from the heart, uh, these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And so the, the Pharisees brought this up before Jesus. They're like, hey, you know, the, the physical stuff. How come your disciples don't wash their hands before you eat? They're questioning Jesus and, uh, and his disciples because they were legalistically looking at the context of the Old Testament of our exterior is what contaminates us and defiles us before God. And Jesus says, time out, right? Like, and I have now come, and it's not that what goes into a body or what our physical bodies touch that defiles us, but it's actually what comes out of our mouth that defiles us. So again, the people of, of old thought that anything that I'm around, any death, any physical contamination will yield me away from the presence of God. I'm impure, I must leave, I must be cleansed of all unrighteousness because of what I've touched. And Jesus says, now it is not what you've touched, but it is what has come out of your mouth that defiles you. For out of the mouth speaks what's in the heart, and out of the heart of the flesh it is evil and wicked. What gets us in trouble most? Right, if we sit around and think, what gets us in trouble more than anything? Uh, it's usually the, the things we say, right? It's the things that within our nasty, evil, fleshly hearts, praise God that there is uh, purification and grace that, that cleanses us and renews that heart. But at, at an essence, we are still evil, sinful, fleshly people. And out of the heart come evil desires, lust, slander, sexual immorality, murder, gossip, uh, belittlement, angry words, cursing somebody out. Uh, flirting with someone that we shouldn't. And where does this all stem from? It is all hatred in our heart. It's bitterness. It's lust. It's envy. And through the evilness that was in our heart, out speaks our mouth. And, God, and Jesus says, that's what defiles you. And so that the heart of the flesh is evil, its desires are evil, and that this is what now defiles us. And much like the Old Testament, God says if there's any impurity, if there's anything that is within the camp of God that is not holy and righteous, it must leave to be purified. And even though now the God that we serve, the way that we are able to enter into his presence has changed, the God in which we serve is still the same. He still demands that same purity. He still demands that same righteousness and holiness to be in his presence. And so don't miss the fact that, yes, the way that we are able to experience God is no longer through a legalistic tense of the Old Testament, but who we serve and the God in which we serve in his presence has never changed. Just because we are now cut in on the deal, just because we now have the same access as the Jews once did, doesn't mean that all of a sudden we just approach God like he's just our good buddy up in the sky that we just kick it with on maybe once a week on a Sunday for an hour. Like he still demands this purity. He still wants a cleansing of our hearts. Since, since we don't have to physically cleanse ourselves in the presence of God, Jesus says, now I need you to cleanse your heart because what in your heart is evil and out of your mouth defiles you. So what are the things that we speak? What are the things and the evil things in our heart that we need purification of before we can fully enter the presence of God? The presence of God demands purity, which we can obtain through believers. Because in Exodus 40, Aaron and his sons, they weren't able to go into the tabernacle until after they'd cleansed themselves. There was this huge, long, lengthy uh, purification process that Aaron and his sons would have to go through before they were even allowed to walk into the temple of God. And yet we, we as a culture and we as the American church take this for granted and, and we think that we can just bull rush our way and demand things from God in a way that is unholy, it is unpure, and it is unrighteous. The way that we are able to enter God's presence has changed, but the God 
and the presence that is there has never changed. He is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to understand that he still desires purification in our hearts. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us of sin and unrighteousness. How do we purify ourselves? And if there's evil, if there's deceit, if there's lust, if there's if there's these evil things inside of a heart that defile us from the presence of God, then how do we cleanse ourselves from that? How do we find that purification? First John says, confess our sins, and he is faithful and just. He will forgive, and he will purify us. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says that, um, basically says that if you're bringing your offering to the, to the, to the table, if you're coming before God and, and worship and praise and wanting to experience his presence, but yet you still have uh, wrongs or rights that need to be, or, excuse me, wrongs that need to be uh, made right before God. If there are still these things in your life uh, that are hindering you, he's, God says, I don't want your gift and your offering. I want you to go and make cleanse and purify and make right what's been wrong and then bring your gift to me. God wants that in intimacy with us. He wants that time with us, but he wants us pure before him. And trying to understand that, like, God, what? And as I've prepared to even teach this over the last weeks, it's like, Lord, I, I can understand the presence of you through reading scripture in my mind, but how, how do I experience that in the depths of my soul? To try to understand the magnitude of your presence, understand that you, you demand this purity from us, you demand this cleansing of our hearts and the evil that's in our hearts and that you're more concerned about us uh, making restoration with your people and purifying our hearts than you even are about bringing our gift of offering to you. Aaron and his sons, deep, deep, deep levels of purification before they can enter God's presence. And again, we rush into this. We rush in demanding some kind of response from a God uh, that, that we want blessed over us that, that our hearts are, are not even ready and, and purified to even receive in the first place. If you try to approach God in any other way than the way that he is desired for us, there can be consequences for that. In Leviticus 10.2, it says that fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Preface that a little bit. Aaron's sons had gone into the presence of God in a way that was unjust, in a way that was unpure, in a way that was unholy. They rushed into the presence of God, demanded God do something for them without being purified. It says that fire from the presence of the Lord came and consumed them, and they died. And often we're going to read this, and we think, well, that's the Old Testament, right? Like, that's that stuff of old, like we have Jesus now, and we live in a free America that allows us to kind of do and say what we want when we want to say and do it. But again, the presence that is there has not changed. When we take communion, passages talk about when before you go and take communion and you take of his body and you take of his blood, you need to make sure that your heart and the things in your life are taken care of and in check and in purified because the magnitude of doing that can have serious implications in itself. Before you step into the presence of God, before you go into experience his presence, the weight and the heaviness and the power that is in that moment demands a purity. It demands a cleansing from our hearts. Matthew 25, uh, 10 through 12, it gives a parable of, of people asking Jesus to open the door to eternity. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And if we try to rush our way into the presence of God, if we try to force our way into something that we have not first been cleansed of, at the end of times, God will look at us and say, I didn't know you. 
right? Like, like you said some good stuff and, and you, you did some, some pretty good things and, and we think that, well, I, I don't need to deal with everything because I'll kind of keep that tucked away and I'll keep that put back in the closet and, and as long as I don't bring that up anymore, we don't have to deal with it and at the end of time, Jesus says, I didn't know you. You never came to me really wanting to experience my love. You never came to me really wanting to experience my presence. You didn't, you didn't come into my presence thankful for the boundless riches that I've lavished over you before. I didn't know you. Don't miss this. Don't think that we are all of a sudden somehow entitled to walk into this presence in a way that is unholy and unjust. God demands purity from us. He wants, he wants that bloodshed of Jesus to run over us each and every day and that grace to be fully experienced inside of us. But we have to do our part in walking in and asking for that and accepting that every single day. Here's where the, the, the we'll start kind of tying it up here. Um, the cool connection now between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this, that in Exodus, God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell. In John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Old Testament, God dwelt within a tabernacle that was made uh, by Moses that God commanded him. Now, in the New Testament, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt within us. That word dwelt in the Greek literally means tabernacled. And so the, the, the comparison here, tying it now together, of how does the Old Testament tabernacle and the New Testament Jesus and resurrection, how does that fit together? It says the word came and tabernacled with us. Through Jesus, God sent his presence now into Jesus. It says that no longer is my presence, um, not that God's presence was ever concealed to a certain place, but God said, I'm not just going to keep my presence in a tabernacle that only the high priest once a year is able to walk into and experience, but I want my presence to dwell in tabernacle among you. And so God says, I've given my spirit. It is now with you. It's tabernacle. It's dwelt in the embodiment of Jesus. And then through the death, uh, the burial, the defeat of death, hell, and the grave, and the resurrection of Jesus, God says, now I give you my spirit. The gift of Jesus through his death and resurrection is a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And now the, God, the presence of God dwells within inside of us. We now, as God's people who have fallen on our face, who have accepted uh, faith through grace that is not something of our own, we now tabernacle the presence of God. Once only designated for the high priest, once a year, uh, the presence of God was able to be walked into once a year by the high priest to make atonement for sin. Deep purification, deep, lengthy process to be able to experience that. And God says in, in John, he says, now, I've given him to tabernacle amongst you, and through the resurrection, God has given us his spirit to where now God's presence and spirit and that power dwells within inside of us. If that doesn't fire us up, and if that doesn't get us excited, and if that doesn't stir something deep within inside of you, it's a huge, huge for us to understand. Dwells, tabernacles, the presence of God is within inside of us. Um, Dad brought up a, a picture last week of the Old Testament tabernacle uh, of where the presence of God would rest. And as he talked about, you had your outer courts to where the Gentiles, where you and I would have been allowed to go. And then there's a wall of hostility to where we were no longer allowed to get any closer to the presence of God. Then you had the court of the women were a little bit closer. Then the Israelites were a little bit closer. Then you had the most holy place there, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God would dwell to where the high priest was the only one able to walk into that presence. And now, through the resurrection of Jesus, that we were adopted as sons 
Each one of those walls of hostility has been broken down and shattered and crumbled and destroyed to where the Gentiles, the women, the Israelites, all people of all times, of all generations are able to boldly and confidently and freely walk into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is. Why? Because he dwells and rests with inside of us. And every morning when we, when we wake up, the presence of God is there. When we go to bed, when we lay in bed and we have anxiousness or worries or our minds won't be at rest because of, of all the stresses and pressures of the world, the presence of God rests there. When we wake up and we're consumed by the day, when we're consumed by our work, when we're consumed by the pressures of family and the demands that this life brings, the presence of God is dwelling there. What are we doing each day to walk into the presence of God? Been reading through uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a uh, book by John Comer, and, and kind of studying through this at the same time and reading that book and, and some of the things the Lord's showing me. And, and he talks over and over again about uh, if we really read the life of Jesus and if we desire to be apprentices under Jesus, every, uh, every time that we read about him leaving and going into the presence of God, he did it early in the morning. He did it by himself. He did it in the quiet, and he separated himself to where he could just be in the presence of God. And I'm not, I am the first one to, to be one of the worst sleepers that you might meet. I mean, I just don't, sleeping is not one of uh, the gifts that God has given me fully. But I started praying through over the last weeks, and I was like, Lord, if, if I could just, if you could just knock me out from like 10 to 5 and let me get just like six or seven hours of hard rest, I want so bad to wake up and just be in that presence with you. Like the priority of my day is not to start off and be consumed by my desires and my wants, but I want to experience your presence each day. And I just started praying over that. And again, by the grace of God, I've been falling asleep quickly uh, when my head lays down. And at 5 to 5.30 in the morning, he has been uh, so gracious to wake me up to where I get an hour and a half to two hours sometimes in the morning, being able to just rest in his presence and wanting to embody the apprentice, uh, apprenticeship of Jesus as he would get up and he would leave while it was still dark and walk out into a quiet place and be in the presence of God. I want to do everything I can. If, if the Spirit of God and if that presence dwells among us now, then I would be a fool not to do everything I could or even schedule out my day and, and make all plans and arrangements for that day uh, to not be in that presence. Like, that should be the first priority of our day. God, I just want to be in your presence. I want to hear what you want to speak into my life. I want, to, I want to spend time thanking you for the boundless riches, and I just want to rest in you. I want you to tabernacle with inside of me today. I want to make sure that before I walk in, uh, into that presence, so that I am on my knees, I am repenting, uh, I am asking for your grace. I am asking for the bloodshed of Jesus to cleanse me of unrighteousness. As David said, he said, search me, O God. Show me any, uh, any really unrighteous ways that are in my heart before you. Illuminate any of the crap in my heart that would hinder me from experiencing your presence. I want to start my day there. I want to be purified. I want to be cleansed. I want to be prayed up. And I want to be able to experience the presence of God. We, we were, um, wrapping it up here, we were with some friends quite a few months ago, and we were sitting, uh, uh, just kind of sitting in a circle talking about some things. And, and we started talking about, you know, what if you could ask Moses, man, what was it like to see God split the Red Sea? What was it like to see the presence of God in a physical and tangible way split this massive sea and walk right through it? 
If you could ask Elijah, Elijah, what was it like to see 400 prophets of Baal dancing and, and cutting themselves and yelling and, and begging Baal to bring fire from heaven and nothing happening? And then you going and collecting jar after jar after jar of water, saturating this offering to God and water to where fire would never light and praying and asking God to show up and seeing fire fall from heaven and consume an offering. If you could ask um, Ezekiel what it was like to see dry bones laying in a valley and see tendons and ligaments begin to form and see flesh begin to, uh, to be formed over these bodies to where these people stood up and were raised up right before his eyes. And if you could ask Joshua, what was it like to see the Jordan dammed up and stopped flowing? What was it like to march around Jericho and see God bring the walls of an entire city crashing down? If we could ask all these Old Testament heroes, what was it like to see God do these wild things? I think what they would probably ask us is, what was it like to have the presence of God living with inside of you? Man, like we get so caught up in reading these Old Testament stories of the magnitude and the power of God and, and seeing these miraculous spectacles. And I think what those people would probably ask us is like, yeah, yeah, but you get that to live with inside of you each and every day. We didn't get to experience that. We saw it. We got to experience these cool things, but that presence lives with inside of you. How is that not more incredible than getting to see an ocean and some water split? The power that did those things dwells in tabernacles inside of us. And that right there should wake us up with extreme joy and extreme thankfulness every single day. Do not allow the Old Testament powers and spectacles to take the place and precedence over the fact that we get to experience that presence day in and day out. There's a quote that says, but when Jesus died, the way into God's presence was open through his death. Now every believer in Christ is a priest with access, not only to the holy place, but even in the holy of holies, into God's holy presence. I was thinking about the analogy of, of you know, we, a lot of us in here are, are Georgia football fans. Uh, and, and if somebody were to come up and, and ask, are you, are you a Georgia football fan? I'd say, absolutely, right? Love watching the Bulldogs. Oh, man, that's great. What do you, what do you think about our new recruiting cra- uh, class that just came in? I have, well, yeah, I didn't even. I have no idea who's coming in, but uh, I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's cool. What, what about the new, the new offensive coordinator? What do you think about him? What do you think about the offense uh, that he's going to run for the team this year? How do you think the new quarterbacks are going to handle that? Well, you know, honestly, if, if they ran the triple option versus spread, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference when they lined up. So I, I really, I really don't know what to tell you. Right? Well, well, man. Well, are you excited for for the games? Are you gonna Are you gonna go? Are you gonna tailgate? Are you gonna be there to experience the, just the presence and the magnitude of being able to watch Georgia play in the stadium? No, nah, I mean I'll probably turn it on the TV and watch it for a couple hours and go to bed. But if you ask Steve Trailer, man, what do you think about the recruiting class coming in? Man, Steve will tell you every guy from every school, from every state, what his parents' jobs did, how old he is, probably what his girlfriend, how attractive she is, whether that's going to affect his play on the field. He's going to tell you the offense. He's going to be able to tell you exactly what the formations are going to look like, what the coaches are going to call in certain situations. Steve Trailer wants to be in the tailgate. He wants to be the first one in the gate, and he wants to experience Georgia football. And that is exactly what we do with God in the presence of God. You know God? Yeah, man, sure do. Man, awesome. What's, what's your favorite verse? What's something that a verse that God has used to impact your life? Ah, well, you know, I, I'm not much of a reader. You know, I, I'm more of an audible learner. I just like to listen to other people 
speak. That's cool, man. Well, well, tell me a little bit about your story. What's your testimony, man? How has God, since you know him, how has God changed your life? Well, man, you know, each day is a struggle. You know, we're just trying to, trying to manage one day at a time, just trying to get from, from today to tomorrow. Man, well, you know, how, what is your quiet time like? I mean, I'm, you know, I got a men's group I go to on Wednesdays, and that pastor up at the church, he's pretty good. I'll go and listen to him, too. And no more than I know Georgia football do a lot of us at times know God. Right? Do you know God, or are you just a fan of God? Are you just a fan of what other people tell you about? Are you a fan of when you see him do something impactful in somebody else's life, or do we know God the way Steve Trailer knows Georgia football? Man, we are called to so much more than hearing somebody else talk about how great he is and how impactful his presence is and how powerfully wonderful it is to experience the presence of God. And I want each and every one of us to know the intimacy that we have. So often when we wake up and we try to spend that time, we are, we are easily distracted by the phone in our pocket Right, we sit on the coffee table and with each buzz or ring, God's time is immediately put on pause and, and shuffled off to something that uh, really at the time typically has zero important implications in our life. And yet we'll, we'll say, well, I wanna, I'm going to walk into the presence of God and I want to spend this time with you this morning and, and I'm going I'm to open up my Bible, but yet with each ring or ding or, or with everything, that, uh, every little fuss or whine from our, from our kid in the next room, everything gets, God gets put on pause to make way for just the clutter that Satan wants to try to distract us with. So what are we doing each day? What are we doing each and every single day to get up and to walk and apprentice under Jesus and to walk and to be in the presence of God. Our creator deserves our full affection, our full love, our desire. Our creator and our father deserves purity in our hearts and in our lives. And so it is our job now to clear out distractions, to put clutter aside, to wake up, to run to our quiet place, to, 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 to purify ourselves and rest in the presence of God and never must we worry whether God is sitting there waiting for us. He is always waiting for us. But we have got to initiate that and take those first steps. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.